welcome once again to Poker in the Ears. I am Uncle Daddy. I'm Joe Stapleton. He's my work wife. He's James Hardigan. Happy International Top Spinning Day, Joe, which I found out this week happens on the second Wednesday of every October, where we celebrate spinning tops like the one Leonardo DiCaprio had in Inception. Different Leonardo I'm, DiCaprio movie on the agenda for this week, by the way, but that's coming up later. Yeah, I'm feeling some glitches in the Matrix. Coming up on today's show, the poker story that won't die. Yeah. Uh, we should probably amend some of what we said last week based on new information. That's what people who are smart do. Well, to be honest, Joe, I think we've reached the stage where nobody really has a clue what the fuck is going on anymore. So I'm not sure what we can and can't say, but we'll try. We will try. Yes, that's correct. We're going to we're going to fire off a bunch of things that may or may not have happened in the Robbie Jade Lou developments of the last week. And we're going to balance out some of the salacious red hot goss with some bona fide poker strategy, some strat talk, talking strat with my friend and sometimes investor Maria Ho. Uh, I had some tournament hands. But it turns out I went back and watched the cash game stream. I played on, and we're going to focus on all of those hands. We'll get to some tournament hands maybe with another pro in the future. All cash game this week. And uh, I, I hopefully Maria's going to skewer me because uh, that will be entertaining. And to be clear, she had a financial interest in that cash game, right? She did, yes, and we're going to go over how we came to that sort of determination also because I think people cool. find that sort of stuff interesting. It was my first time working out a cash game backing deal as well, so we're going to talk about all of that with Maria when she's here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, finally, the super fan last week barely, just barely edged me out in the tiebreaker for the movie Go!, this time around, it's a fellow named Daniel Sinyakov, and he's, excuse me, Aaron Sinyakov. I thought I was going to get the last name wrong, <laughs> but nope, it's the first name. Aaron Sinyakov, and he has challenged me to catch me if you can. Now, already a slight glitch in the Matrix with Leonardo DiCaprio and catch me if you can today. Another slight glitch in the Matrix. So we did Go last week. I was yes. singing the praises of Go, and... I uh, also went to see a movie called Bros over the weekend, and I tweeted about it, and I tagged the director, and the director retweeted me, and guess who fucking liked that tweet? But none other than the writer of the movie Go, John August. That is so cool, but also a major, major glitch. Yes, big-time glitch in the Matrix. Also, John August is a terrific screenwriter. If you, if the name is not familiar to you, go look up the movies that John August has written. Very impressive. Uh, James, we haven't talked movies and TV for a while, and I think we're not going to get into it too much today. But I did, I you know, you heard me on the uh, Sunday Million streams. Uh, by the way, Sunday Million recap coming up later in the show as well. Uh, James was not there for that. We're going to focus on the stuff he was there for right now. Um House of the Dragon. I watched seven episodes of House of the Dragon you on Sunday. Binged House of the Dragon. I still have not watched a single episode. I think at this point in time, it's going to wait for the entire season to play out, and then I'll then I'll catch up with it. All I will say is that it is so confusing and makes so they, they you know this at this point. They jump around in time. They have multiple characters with the same name. It is. So confusing. I would recommend binge watching it. If you're going to, it's the only way to keep it straight in your head. If if I went I, week to week with this thing, I have no idea how I'd keep it straight. 
I think that's why so many people decided to rewatch Game of Thrones, because they realized the only way you can actually watch it from start to finish and have any clue what's going on is if you literally watch every episode back to back. If there's a break of a few months between seasons, you've got no clue why these two people are halfway on a journey that they started four seasons ago. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I look forward to talking about that with you eventually. Yeah. James, you, uh, um, you uh, recommended that I watch something, uh, which I did. On Amazon, but you were there live. Look, I recommended it on last week's podcast. It was the Bond concert we talked about on the podcast last week, and I said that the concert was going to appear on Amazon Prime, and then I immediately retracted my endorsement when I saw that what they've done is published 58 minutes of highlights from a two and a half hour concert, and they have cut out all, pretty much all, of the non-vocal performances, all the score cues. Uh, some of the vocal performances have gone as well. Ella Air doing Nobody Does It Better has gone. And I don't know why they were so desperate to get it down to an hour. This is not trying to fit a slot on ITV on a Sunday night. It's a streaming service. People can watch it at their leisure, which just makes me hope that one day they will publish the full thing. Um the banter between Hans Zimmer and David Arnold was cut out as well. At least they kept in David Arnold's introduction to You Know My Name. Yeah. So anyway, from a perspective of someone who didn't go see this James Bond soundtrack thinking of Bobby Live, um, I did I did watch it. I didn't. I, what I did was more or less I watched the artist come out. I watched the first couple bars of the song. Um, and then I kind of skipped the rest of most of the songs. The only songs I watched in their entirety, I thought the woman that did Live and Let Die fucking killed. Absolutely. I said that last week. She was one of my favorites. And um, obviously, I watched the entirety of You Know My Name because that's one of my favorite songs of all time, not just uh, from the Bond thing. What I would say also that kind of sucked about it watching it was that I don't know if I have a pretty good sound system at home. I found the vocals were like kind of understated on all of the songs. And I didn't love the sound mix basically that I heard. Like I can only imagine how much better it would have been live. I actually interesting because I actually found the vocals too dominant in the mix on some of them. So I don't know. Maybe it could be just the way my system is set up at home. Right. I'm I'm not really good at that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, The only thing I've watched in the last week was this uh, drama. I don't even know if it's available in America. Probably not. It's a very UK centric program called This England uh, starring Kenneth Branagh as Boris Johnson, which is about the UK government dealing with uh, the COVID pandemic in 2020. And I can give you a two word review of this drama. Too soon. None of us want to relive the fucking pandemic already because this drama is basically moments of Kenneth Branagh doing a decent Boris Johnson impersonation intercut with people suffering and dying. And it is, quite frankly, too much. I don't know the purpose of rushing this out so quickly. Um, It doesn't follow the Johnson premiership to its end. There's that classic at the end. This is what happened to all the characters. Fast forward two years. Um, But yeah, I was not impressed as good as the performances were, including Branner himself. Yeah. You should just go back and watch the West wing again. I think probably. Yeah. Um, Okay. We need to talk about the story that still dominates the poker headlines. 
uh, whether that's a poker news site, a poker gossip site, forums. Two plus two is suddenly relevant again, ladies and gentlemen. Two plus two is back. James, have you been asked about this by anyone not from the poker world no. yet? Because that's one of those things that's getting to me now is that like, so I was like at a comedy club over the weekend and people at the comedy club were asking me about this fucking story. Immediate friends and family mentioned that they'd seen it on the BBC, but that was when the story first broke. And I think it disappeared from the mainstream media in the UK pretty quickly. I know that, uh, you know, the LA Times is pretty hot on this story. So I know it's getting a lot of attention in your neck of the woods. Yeah, um, it, it, it's you know still in the mainstream here. People still talking about it. Obviously, too, like the LA poker scene. Despite you know, still poker still kind of a niche thing. But like in LA, it's a little bit less niche than anywhere else, considering the number of card rooms we have. How many people in Hollywood sort of play poker as a hobby or sort of on the outskirts of this whole thing? So. There were some key developments that happened after our podcast were recorded yes. last week. And all I would like to say is one of the reasons why, and I went off on a few people on social media about this, um, we need to stop chastising people and criticizing people for changing their minds, for um, having their opinion shaped by new information. I think one of the problems we have in society now is that we're so unlikely to change our minds because we don't want to be called out for it, because we don't want to face criticism for it. But like, as educated, intelligent people, we should all absolutely be changing our minds from time to time when information changes, when new information comes to light. And uh, I, James, I guess you stay on top of the YouTube comments for our show a yeah, little bit I mean, more the, than I do. The, the, the YouTube comments were for the most part as moronic as ever because people didn't seem to understand that you can't discuss something on a Wednesday that won't be revealed for another 48 hours. And I'm talking about the key development, which did happen after we recorded the podcast and talked to Sam Grafton about this story last week. And that was the revelation by Nick and Ryan, who run High Stakes Poker Productions, which stages the live stream at Hustler Casino, that one of their employees was seen on camera stealing chips, stealing $15,000 in chips from Robbie J. Lou after the conclusion of this hand. And obviously, this is a development because what it reveals is that there is someone who is working on the live stream production who is clearly less than trustworthy, who I believe had an existing criminal record, admitted to this theft and was immediately fired, and now I believe does face prosecution after Robbie Jade Lewin initially said she wasn't going to press charges. She now is. Um, that being said, and I do think it's a worrying turn of events, and I think it speaks to the danger of proper vetting, proper background checks not being done on people who are working in an environment like this, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there was cheating. And look, I still don't know the answers to any of the questions that people are asking. I cannot say with any certainty, and I think it's important again, and we said this last week, not to be emphatic or definitive here, but I have still not seen any concrete evidence of cheating. And okay, the moment there is a revelation like this does it make it more likely yes but two and two in this occasion if you'll forgive the awful forum pun does not <laughs> equal five 
uh, it's still a bit of a leap to get there. But obviously so much else has happened and so much more has come out in the last seven days. I think we should get into it and I think we should get into it with this week's guest. So let's welcome Maria Ho back to the podcast. Hello, Maria. Hi. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but what the fuck is going on with this story? (laughs) I mean, truly, does anybody really know? I know a lot of people tweet as if they know. Yes. But does anybody really have any clue what is actually going on? And I think you've hit the nail on the head there. And this is the thing I wanted to say, Joe, is we've unfortunately reached that stage where rumor and speculation is now being accepted as fact. And I know we live in this so-called post-fact world, but I do feel that we're at the point where the independent investigation needs to move forward and return its results before we can have any more conversations about this. Yeah, I mean, look, there are so many things now, like the the thread is being pulled, right? So these all these things being uncovered now that may or may not have any relevance to what's going on, right? People digging up better business bureau complaints against Nick Fertucci's company. Uh, PPP loan fraud sentencing pending against one of the people involved. Prior crimes of Brian Sagbisal, the allegedly... Th- thank you notes and two plus two posts that we can't really say who is writing these things. Um, general security issues for, for Hustler Casino Live in the Cards Up area. Um, you've got other streams that are voluntarily shutting down. HCL still going strong. The LA Times reporter following Brian around the city. Uh, people finding uh, interesting graphs for seat two right now. That was like a whole seat two at Hustler Casino Live. Seems to be winning more than anywhere else including a particular player that likes to play in seat two we've got the bounties going uncollected we've got people analyzing writing styles i mean yes the the the, the amateur detectives or, or maybe professional ones i don't know it's all fucking crazy it's hard to sift through it all and that's a prime example of what I was talking about, like the handwriting analysis and, oh, who actually sent these direct messages? It's clearly not Brian. And someone suggests that maybe Robbie was writing the messages herself. And now it's become widely accepted by a huge number of people that that's what happened, that she wrote those messages. It's all speculation. And the other thing, Maria, is that the document, the dossier that Garrett put together, that Garrett Adelstein put on 2 Plus 2, there's a lot of stuff in there about the past, of some of these players, their background, maybe some stuff they've been involved in or suggestions that they've been involved in kind of like, you know, uh, stuff in the past that's maybe not 100% above board. But again, none of this proves anything. It's what would be called in a court of law circumstantial evidence. And also, you're just digging up the past on eight random people. Yeah, I mean, I feel like at this point, a lot of people are using this situation as a way to maybe self-promote a little bit maybe you know have a reason to post something controversial you know put a little clickbait out there raise their profile a little bit and for me i think it's a very slippery slope i i completely think that cheating of course needs to come to light if that's the case and should try to be eradicated but we have to make sure that the burden of proof is extremely extremely high for accusing people of cheating when we don't have real proof and so i have yet to see the proof you know so that's where i'm at 
And I think it's exactly what you said last week, Joe, and I think it's worth reiterating. Of course, a lot of the revelations in the past seven days have been concerning. And there's a lot of stuff here that needs further investigation and questions do need to be asked. But ultimately, the burden of proof is on the accusers. If there is this belief, if there is this suspicion that Robbie Jade Lou cheated, you have to provide evidence. And unless that evidence can be presented, she is not guilty. It's not on her to prove her innocence, which I think is pretty much verbatim what you said last week. It is. And I would just like to be clear, though, based uh, you know, from what I said last week, I'm the sort of person that will absolutely shift my opinions and my convictions based on new information coming to light. And I am I do think that there is enough stuff now that like I'm questioning how much I was like, oh, I don't think this is cheating. Um, I certainly have shifted how confident I am in saying that now. I still agree there is no evidence, although had all of the evidence, quote unquote, I'm going to say now, circumstantial as it is, had all of that uh, been known before last week's podcast, I would have approached things slightly differently. However, I'm still not ready to say that cheating occurred. That's all I wanted to say is that I, I am I'm the sort of person that I will go, yeah, I, I was wrong about that. I don't think I was wrong yet, but I'm certainly not as convicted as I was before. As I said, we just need to see how this plays out and what evidence is unearthed as part of the investigation. And to be fair to Nick and Ryan, and this is something that Doug Polk mentioned in his last video, they are determined to get to the truth. They don't seem to be driven by an interest to protect their integrity or protect their brand. They want to get to the truth, whatever that means for them down the line. So let's see where this gets us to and how it plays out. But the real reason you are here, Maria, is not to analyze that hand from Hustler Casino Live. It is to analyze play from a different live stream, to analyze Joe Stapleton. Yes, I am very, very excited. I have a lot of personal rooted interest in analyzing Joe's hands. <laughs> personal interest, financial interest. And that's kind of where I want to start is that I think that this can be beneficial for folks out there who maybe have never um, had an investor for a cash game before. When I came to you, I'm like, I'm not really sure how this works. I don't know. You know, sometimes I want to present Maria with, uh, I don't want to call it an opportunity because it's certainly not that for her, um, but with an arrangement and I don't know like what, how, how these usually work. And so uh, I was told, uh, my text, by the way, going back and looking at them now when Maria and I worked this, yes, sir. Just to rewind quickly, Joe, just yes. set the scene, what this yes. game was, where it took place, when it was streamed, because we're going back a, a few weeks, if not a couple of months right now. couple of months at this point, a little over a month at this point. So Texas Card House Live invited me out to play on a live stream with some of the Run Good people. Jeff Platt was there, Tana, Haley, uh, a young lady named Mallory is the person who reached out to me. Uh, she does some stuff in the sort of Oklahoma, Texas area. Uh, a guy named Chris, oh, a bunch of uh, run good folks. Ray Henson, who will come, uh, who will play a major role in some of these hands, who's a well-known fellow on uh, sort of the, the, the mid-stakes stream uh, scene. So uh, they invited me to play 255 Row. And um, a couple of funny things happened here. First of all, turns out I did not know what Row was. Uh, the very first thing that I can be heard saying on stream is, important question, what is row? Uh, I actually thought that O and row stood for Omaha and E stood for o eight or better, uh, as That's it often hilarious. does 
in horse. Um, and it, and I just thought R, I didn't know what R was. I figured it was regular Hold'em, Omaha, eight or better. <laughs> regular Hold'em. So this regular. Is not, just to be clear, this wasn't a Joe Stapleton bit on the stream. You didn't know what round of each was. I did not know what it was. No, I didn't. And the the even worse than that is when I asked Maria about this, I didn't say we were playing Row. I just said it's a two five five stream, completely leaving Row out of the equation. So my original pitch to Maria was I'm being told I need three K to be properly rolled for this two five five stream. Do you want half my action for up to fifteen hundred dollars? Is that how this works for cash? Uh, Maria's reply was, it depends on what the min and max buy-in is. I say I believe there is no max. Everyone else said they were buying him for 1K. Uh, and Maria says, yes, 200 big blinds average buy-in sounds fine. I'll take up to 1K. So, in my mind, <clears throat> my entire bankroll for this is 2K. Uh, one of it being Maria's, one of it being mine. And then what happens is... Everyone buys in, by the way, not for 1K. The minimum for everyone else is 2K, and most people are in for three. Uh, and later in the in the game, there's one guy who's in for, who's got seven thousand dollars in front of him, uh, which is not uncommon, obviously, for you know for a, a cash game happening. Joe, you but haven't about- played a single hand yet, and this is already comedically Stapleton-esque in its execution. So about an hour <laughs> into the stream, I look at my phone and I have a text from Maria that says. Wait, you're playing Omaha? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a detail you clearly left out. I'm assuming, Maria, when you agreed to take up to 1K of action, you thought this was going to be Hold'em, a game that Joe is reasonably competent at. Yeah, and if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, Stapes is just Stapes, I would have thought, wow, this person just conveniently left out they were playing <laughs> Omaha because maybe they knew that I wouldn't want a piece if I thought they were playing Omaha. But obviously, I, I know that it's when it comes to Stapes, it's a completely innocent, albeit stupid, mistake. <laughs> So, yeah, she says, wait, you're playing Omaha, to to which I write back row, which apparently means round of each. I I, I literally did not know that that's what it meant. I knew that Omaha might be involved. I just didn't know it didn't stand for the individual games like in horse. And I write to her, they don't tell you what each is, which is where they get you. I mean, if you write back, okay, I guess. If you thought it was like horse, why would you not have thought it was Raz, Omaha, and eight or better? I just knew there was no way it was Raz. I don't know. I thought it was regular Omaha, eight or better. Anyway, um, so yeah, everyone else buys in for like two or three K. Um, I wanted to buy, so I wanted to be in for for more also. But like, obviously, with what Maria's committed to, I'm like, you know, what? I'll just be like the short buy here. Um, I don't think it puts me at. The only I think it does put me at a disadvantage psychologically um, a- against the other players. And Maria, I wanted to get your opinion on this because I do going back and watching it. I do think I get pushed around quite a bit. Everyone realizing that like, hey, I'm not the I, I don't I probably don't have multiple bullets in this game. And B, I'm not the kind of player that I'm just going to like ship it on somebody even with, like a pretty decent hand because like I just that's just not in my nature. I actually think that sometimes being the person buying in short at the table allows you to maneuver a little bit more easily. I think sometimes playing deeper stacked 
especially against other players that are deeper stacked than you, kind of makes it makes certain scenarios trickier to navigate. Whereas when you're a bit shallower, your decision is a little bit more clear. Um, so I don't always agree that it necessarily puts you at a disadvantage or people are going to naturally um, push you around because of that. But I can see how psychologically it might have felt uncomfortable for you because maybe you're like, okay, well, I don't want to be the person that is going to go busto on stream in the first couple hours and not be able to buy back in and then I just have to get up. Um, but um, I've actually found that for some people, they're more comfortable buying in short and, uh, you know, very uh, Helmuthian of you maybe um, <laughs> as somebody who does that but ends up kind of running it up, you know, so. Not sure that's the beacon of cash game success <laughs> I really want to be emulating. <laughs> so, so I'm guessing here, Joe, that what you're going to do is run through some hand histories and then we'll get yes. Maria's reaction. So I'm just basically going to sit back and enjoy the fireworks. The one question I'm going to ask is the hands that you've selected for analysis, are these mostly Hold'em? I'm thinking of the audience here. No, there, there's, there, there are some Oma hands. If it turns out that they're too hard to follow, um, we can just skip over them. But I'd like to start with a couple of them because, you know, the whole thing like tells a story uh, you know, of the of the entire evening, and I want to try to get as much of that story in as we can. But if Omaha is not something we can follow orally or verbally, we can uh, we can skip over it. And some of the hands are very brief, but I just, as someone who, look, I'm a, as you said, James, like I'm a pretty experienced at hold'em over the last, uh, you know, 15, 20 years or so. I also mostly cover tournaments. Um, you know, so I can emulate and I can do a lot of the things I've seen and heard and I've heard all the analysts talk about, but I haven't been privy to a lot of cash game analysis sitting with a with a well seasoned pro. So there were plenty of spots like pre and post flop that I felt like I played maybe too passively and I don't really know because I only cover tournaments. So uh, in Omaha, too, it was like, you know, incredibly new to me. So I feel like that's where I have the most to learn. Yeah. But if it ends up being boring, we'll move on. All right. Also, just for my for my uh, backer's sake, I did opt out of the seven deuce game. I felt like that was kind of that's kind of I don't I don't have experience doing that. I didn't want to punt an entire stack like jamming pre flop with seven deuce and then being like, ha, sorry, like I, I I lost it all playing seven deuce. It kind of feels irresponsible of me. Um, and despite the fact that it was a stream and everyone else was doing it, I said no dice on the seven deuce. Uh, all right, so hand number one that I play, I'm already down 50 bucks, by the way, because they start off every, like, uh, every two hours, there's a flip, uh, like a $50 Omaha flip uh, where you don't play, you just run it out, and I did not win the first one, so I'm around 950 to start, and I'm in the small blind for $2, right? So it's a, it's a small blind, a big blind, and then they call it like a third blind, so it's two five five. Uh, I'm in it for $2, and I have pocket eights, and Ray Henson had straddled to 10 this hand. So we're starting with Hold'em. Good. Starting with Hold'em. That's right. Uh, Ray Henson had straddled to 10. Uh, action folds around to Tana, who's sitting two to my right. Uh, so he calls for 10. Uh, I call for 10 in the small blind. It gets around uh, back to Ray, who um, makes it 85. And... Um, Already, Maria, do you have anything to say about just calling with two eights in this spot? Yeah, I mean, I think there's so much dead money out there. You've got, you know, the three blind scenario. You've got the straddle. You've got a limper after the straddle. I really like 
just raising it with eights. Um, and I mean, if you clear the field there, you're picking up a lot of dead money. Eights doesn't necessarily play that well or easily post flop. Yeah. I mean, you're really inviting a ton of people in there um so yeah that's probably what i would have done i probably would have made it you know after tana's limp yeah i i probably would have made it something in the neighborhood of like yeah 70 or so i mean 60 okay. 70. Yeah. so what i'm afraid of is because ray henson is a maniac and he is one of the players at the table that i'm probably gonna try to stay away from the most um i'm afraid of making it 870 and then him making it 250 and now i'm just like okay well i have you know, 900 bucks left behind or eight something left behind. What, what do you do if that happens? If it's Ray, I mean, I feel like, like you said, he's kind of a maniac. If, if you think that he's kind of counting on the fact that you're going to play a little bit on the weaker side, I would just ship it in his face and be like, well, maybe one buy and down. Maybe I have incinerated one. But if he, uh, if he folds, which I think a lot of the time he is, going to try to bully you in that spot potentially yeah. i think that it's it's kind of n not a bad place to get it in so this is going to be a sort of a recurring theme is me sort of being reluctant to ship it in um especially when i am not a totally invested in myself the last thing i want to do is say okay maria like i i shipped it with two eights and ray had two tens and uh we we lost you know a, an entire buy-in on hand number three of the night um but i understand that probably what i did is a is a bigger mistake in the long run than doing that but you know that's sort of my rationale behind it so a ray makes an 85 tana calls i call uh the flop comes king jack 10 two diamonds uh as you said eights play pretty bad after the flop um Ray bets $200 uh, and me and Tana both fold. And uh, going back and watching the stream, Ray Henson had pocket eights. But how is that uh, possible, Joe? You had two eights. You had blockers. <laughs> I know, right? I was blocking the eights. Uh, but what is what is entirely possible is that I didn't flop a set uh, as usual. So um, now we're down to uh, – so I'm down to $840 now. I'm under the gun plus one. And I have Ace Jack offsuit. Uh, it is folded to me. I make it twenty-five. Uh, th there's been no straddle in this game. Uh, the player uh, directly to my left calls. That's Chris Birchfield. A little bit of a Ray Henson type of character, but is going to go after me a lot less than Ray will. Uh, then there's a fellow named OFC who is playing. He's like the whale in the game. He's playing like way under his under his stakes. He's just there to splash around. He's like a regular on the stream. It's like his like little reward for being like such a big action player in his big game. Uh, he makes it uh, $110 when it gets around to him in like middle position. Um, and at this point, I, I fold. I just fold my ace jack. Um, Chris calls whatever the flops 983 rainbow. It turns out uh, this guy OFC had 73 suited. Um, so going back and watching the stream, I feel a little bit weak here for folding ace jack. Uh, but I also realize that uh, I'm going to be out of position uh, to this raise. And also, if it is a maniac and I miss the flop, as I almost always do, I'm not going to know how to play this. So I decide just to fold the ace-jack. Seem reasonable? Yeah, I think it's reasonable. I really don't have too much of a problem with that. I mean, obviously, you, you know, the person's a whale, so they probably will have a lot more 
lighter three bets in that spot. But also, like you said, you're out of position. There's the pot's going to be multi-way because you're you're certainly not going to four bet uh, with Ace Jack in that spot. So I'm fine with folding. I have a follow-up question, Joe. How many yes, players sir. in the game? Is this six-handed, eight-handed? It's pretty full. It's like eight or nine-handed. Okay. Um, is this is there an argument, Maria, or is it too tight to consider folding Ace Jack under the gun plus one in a full ring game? I think in a full ring cash game, I probably would say it's too tight to okay. be folding Ace Jack. Yeah. I definitely in considered it I also. Think- I, I I had that exact thought process. Like in a tournament, I might fold ace jack suited yeah. um, from that early position. But in a cash game like this, it's just way too much action, I think, um, to, to get rid of it. So now we're down to $815 and uh, back around a, a, an orbit later or whatever. I'm under the gun uh, with ace king offsuit and I make it uh, $15. Uh, Ray, two to my left, calls. And then there's a, a young fellow named Frankie who's like a, he's like part of some um, streaming crew. They're like young sort of internet guys, you know, the sort of youthful, you know, there's, like these young people who make content vloggers. on the internet. Correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, he three bets to a hundred and five dollars, and I at this point I do not fold my ace king. I, I I call with ace king, and the flop comes uh, queen ten four two diamonds. Uh, I check to the razor. He bets. Uh, uh, it, it goes check, check to the razor. Uh, he bets $125. I call. Uh, the other player, Ray Henson, is out of the hand at this point. Uh, it goes check, check on the turn, which was, um, it was you know, some non-connecting, non-draw coming card. Um, and um, board pairs of four on the river. I check. Uh, the my opponent bets three hundred. Uh, I have ace king high. I fold. And uh, checking back on the stream, I was up against ace jack. So in this situation, I get bluffed. I get pushed off the hand. I I don't make the hero call with ace king. Um, I don't. I looking at it, I feel bad. Uh, I'm like, oh, I I I got bluffed. I I'm I don't. I don't look and seem like the kind of player that's going to call 300 there with Ace King. Is this uh, something I, a gear I need to find? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think actually their line looks like a little bit credible. So I actually don't necessarily give them a lot of bluffs, especially when you block like some of the natural bluffs there, right? So I, I don't know. Like, I think. It was three hundred on the river into what was in the pot. Uh, let's see, two fifty, uh, five hundred. Okay, yeah, like I, I think that's actually a really nice sizing that they took uh, with Ace Jack because I, I feel like as played, somebody could pretty easily bet like Jacks like that, right? Like when you say as played, you often mean there's a mistake that happened earlier in the hand. It, it is no, there? No, 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 no. No, I just mean, given that hand history, they have some value hands that they check back the turn, that they bet the river, that have ace-king beat. They obviously will bet ace-queen or king-queen type hands all three streets, most likely. Um, you know, interesting. A okay. hand like and a hand like ace-ten, perhaps, like, they would they should be able to find a good value bet on the river. I don't like, they might take like a half pot sizing, you know, and keep 
some of your worst hands in that you're able to call with. So yeah, I mean, I, I think they took a pretty credible line. I don't necessarily think that ace king high is like an easy call to make by I'm, any means. I'm glad okay, you explained cool. that, Maria, and I'm glad that you ran through some of the hands that would play it that way because the thing I was suspicious of is the check back on the turn because with that board having a straight draw and a flush draw on there, you'd think most value hands are going to bet the turn. But then when you talk about the hands that maybe for pot control do check it back, it makes sense. And I'm not saying for one second I would even consider calling with ace king high. I, I like Joe, would have uh, would have been done with it. Okay, cool. So, I, I mean, I, I guess I did a, a thing you can agree with there. Maybe not necessarily for the reasons that you said. I mean, I thought that there were plenty of queens potentially they could have too. But I think uh, now that you say it, you're right, there's probably um, – there probably doesn't go check-check on the turn if they have king-queen or ace-queen or whatever. Um, all right, now we got an Omaha hand. Uh, and at this point, I'm down to like, uh, you know, 500-something dollars. Um and uh, Tana is under the gun. Tana is two to my right. He makes it $15 under the gun. And this is a short one. I just have a quick question about this. I have uh, aces, and one of them is suited in spades. It's ace, ace, nine, five. And um, th there's been a lot of action in the Omaha hands, right? Like every time it's gone limp, 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 someone's potted it. And so because I'm still in a relatively early position, I just call. Uh, I'm hoping that I can get someone else to raise later in the hand and I can just pot it again and just try to get it in uh, with aces and a suited ace. It doesn't happen that way. We end up going five ways to the flop. And I'm just wondering how big a mistake is that to have not raised, uh, to have not re-raised with uh, ace, ace, nine, five spades. What was your effective stack at that point? Five, five eighty. Yeah, I mean, get your chips in. I think that I think it's a pretty I think it's a pretty good hand to like just pot it. Like if you just had aces and no suits, and like there is some connectivity with you know the the ace five as well. Like I yeah. then maybe not, but I, I think that especially when you're a little bit unclear as to how to navigate post flop, I think it's a little bit easier to play if you pot it and ISO. Basically, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would obviously would have tried to get it in had there been another raise, but uh, but yeah, I, it just didn't work out for me in that situation. Probably better just to raise myself. Fine, great. Uh, we're back to hold them now, and um, I've I'm I've, I'm under the gun plus two. I have ace ten. Uh, I make it fifteen dollars. Someone uh, three bets huge. I just fold the ace ten. Seems reasonable, right? Yeah. Moving on. I know some of these are kind of boring, but again, these are spots I haven't navigated. And most of the cash games I watch are full of people that are kind of crazy and don't really raise full days 10. So I'm trying to like reconcile, do as I say, not as I do type of situations. So I just, I'm just, some of these hands are boring, but I'm just trying to clear my own conscience of like, okay, raise folding ace 10. And by the way, I was up against Kings there. Uh, that ended up working out fine. Uh, it's never a big see. mistake. It's never a big mistake to play a little bit tighter pre-flop, especially against three bets, like because it prevents you from making bigger mistakes post-flop. You know, I think right. that people feel like they have to defend their raises a lot of the times. 
but the truth is is you get yourself in a lot more sticky situations when you don't know how to navigate post because you're kind of in no man's land with some of your the hands that you choose to defend with got it uh this hand just for context i don't think there's a lot to analyze we're, uh it, we're, we're we're in omaha i have ace ace six three end up getting it in pre-flop against uh it, under the gun plus one limps plus two makes it 30 tana flats plat flats I pot it. I have five hundred thirty-six dollars to start the hand with aces a six ace ace six three. No suits in this case, um, and uh, end up getting in with Jeff Platt and uh, end up winning and more than doubling up. So now I'm up to thirteen hundred dollars. Um, there is one. Never mind. We don't need to go over that hand. I realized the guy was saying it was a good hand for high-low and it was criticizing my fold even though it wasn't a high-low. Um, <laughs> by the way, the commentators, I really enjoyed them. There's two guys named Ben doing commentary. They were very complimentary to us, James. Um, did a lot of our reference. It was it was cool. A quick shout-out to those guys. Uh, okay, here's a... here's a. Obviously, I have two Omaha Aces hands. Another pre-flop Omaha question. Uh, Tana, again, two to my right. Starts off in uh, in Omaha, makes it twenty five dollars. Uh, I am he's under the gun. I'm under the gun plus two. I have Queen Jack ten ten two clubs. I assume this is a fine call to make. Yeah, definitely great. Uh, the big blind and the third blind also just call. The flop is uh, Jack eight three two clubs. Ooh, uh, Tana bet seventy five. And now I think I kind of make a mistake here. I pot it. Uh, I think I get a little excited. I've got top pair. I got two clubs. And uh, Tana folds. And I see later on stream, he folded. Uh, he folds a smaller flush draw. Um, and looking back on it, I'm like, oh, maybe I, maybe there's something in between calling and potting, I'm guessing. Yeah. I, I mean... Yes, there obviously you could have maybe elected to raise without potting it, but I really don't mind just calling as well. I think oh, calling, interesting. Okay, I think I think calling in position is fine. Like you have a lot, you have a very strong hand. You aren't, you don't really need to protect from much because like turning a flush doesn't hurt. Like a club isn't like gonna, you know, kill the strength of your hand and. I mean, sometimes Tana could show up with with over pairs there, which and I a mean, bigger if he's got the bigger flush draw, I'm screwed. Also, if I've potted you're, you're it, right? Yeah, you're okay. definitely screwed um, because sometimes people will just put put the rest in on the flop, you know, and and you don't know if you want to run it for for pot there for for your whole stack. Effectively. Right. Okay. Right. That's one of those situations where if I'm behind, I'm like just completely screwing myself over right i didn't even think about that glad i asked all right we're back to hold them we're back to hold them and i'm up like 400 dollars at this point and that also sort of factors in uh to this equation is like now i'm profitable um and unlike a lot of the people at this table like i do care about the money and i know that that's also like a thing that maybe i shouldn't have i shouldn't care about the money, but I do care about the money. I want to be able to say to Maria, here's your $200. I want to walk away at not just up $200, but not down $1,000 uh, on a poker trip. So uh, this is a straddle hand. I have pocket nines in the big blind, and it limps five ways to me. 
Um, and I guess we're kind of in a si similar situation to the first hand, uh, except for the fact that now I'm up four hundred dollars. <laughs> and but it should not matter at all. But yeah, okay. go on. Okay, shouldn't matter at all. Okay, good to know. Like I understand no. that not caring about the money, but also it just doesn't matter where whether you're up or down. Like every hand is its own individual thing. Yes. Okay. So you just limped? Is that what Correct. you're about to tell yeah, me? Yeah. No. I, yeah. I just, I just checked the two nines in the big blind. Um, uh -uh. The flop comes ace queen seven. Someone bets fifty dollars. I fold, uh, and the uh, the winner chose ace deuce. Um, Which they would have folded pre had you done what you were no to do. no they would not have this was the this was the um, the the whale guy he, but even if he doesn't fold like the guy I played has it wrong three yeah. outs. the guy has three yeah. outs like I would happily have someone put in eighty dollars pre flop or whatever you would have made it with three outs you know right yes uh, and so. good and eighty dollars great good to know uh, making it eight, probably eight more there. than maybe more sure. than I don't remember if you said there was a straddle on or not on that hand but. Tana, we're back to Omaha. Tana, under the gun, plus one, makes it $40. Uh, I have ace, king, king, queen with two clubs. Um, I I call. That's okay to call. We don't have to raise or pot or anything with kings. No, it, it wasn't, oh, you're it saying wasn't raise. a thumbs you're up. You're not giving me a thumbs up. up. Oh, I have yes. to raise that. Okay. <laughs> So just you got you got ace king king. I should have known better. Maria is giving me a thumbs up. It's not that I played it right. It said I needed to raise the hand. Yeah, hundred percent. God, even I know that. Even I'd be raising that. <laughs> yeah, James is a huge knit in Hold'em. I can only imagine in Omaha what a bigger knit he'd be. <laughs> got it. Okay. Uh, I, I'm does this position it doesn't matter that i'm still like pretty early position with this hand or middle position no raise it up no. okay fine uh cut off calls the third blind calls the straddler calls that's how tana was able to make it 40 pre-flop um flop comes uh nine eight three two diamonds tana bets 100 i call and then the player directly to my left raises to 300 at which point, when it gets back around to me, I fold, and that player ended up having top set with pocket nines, I guess. And if I had re-raised, then they probably aren't in there with two nines. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. Uh, now I'm now I'm back to like eleven hundred to start the hand. I'm under the gun plus one. I have ace queen jack ten, uh, double suited. Ace, 10 of diamonds, queen, jack of hearts. I raise the maximum to $25. I get four callers. And the flop comes king, nine, deuce, two clubs. It checks to me. I bet 50. I get two callers. The turn is the six of diamonds. I bet 125. And I get two callers. <laughs> Do you have a straight draw and a flush draw or just a straight draw? I have just a straight draw. Okay, okay. Um, River, after I bet 125, get two callers again. Um, I, you know what? I did have a, I had a flush draw on the turn. It, the, okay. the diamond comes on the turn. That, that makes uh, more sense for you to yeah. double barrel into yes. two people. It was a nine of diamonds on the flop, six of diamonds on the turn, and I have ace of diamonds, ten of diamonds. So I've got the straight draw and the not flush draw. 
Uh, I miss the, the, the river yeah, pairs the board. The river is uh, another deuce. Uh, at which point I check and someone bets and fold and uh, I end up would have lost to King nine for a flop two pair and also pocket aces, which end up making a better two pair. Um, seems reasonable, right? All of that. Yeah, pretty standard. Okay, great. Uh, let's see. Closing in. We'll do the last couple of hands here. We'll, we'll make it uh, a hold them hand. All right. So now I'm back down to $920. No longer profitable. Uh, there's a straddle on Tana limps the straddle $10. I, I, I make it, I have ace queen two to Tana's left. And I do not just call this time. I raise, I make it $30 with ace queen. Uh, the hijack calls and then the, the whale guy OFC makes it $125 from the big blind. And this time I'm not going to fold. I folded ace jack to a three bet. I folded ace 10 to a three bet. Ace queen, I'm not going to let go of. Uh, the flop comes 10, 7, 3, rainbow. Uh, it goes, it's it's just heads up at this point. Check, check. There is a king on the turn. And uh, this person bets 100 into me. And I decide I'm going to call that I'm not going to just fold ace queen high this time. Uh, the river is a nine. So I've, again, no pair, no draw. Uh, my opponent checks to me. And I don't want to lose a showdown to like just some random pair. So I decide for once, even though I have nothing, I'm going to try to bluff the river. Uh, so I bet 250. And I get a fold. It works. Nice. I got the worst hand to fold. I end up seeing on the stream that uh, I was up against Ace Jack. But I feel like in a lot of those spots, like I just check back there so often and end up like losing to a seven or a, or a ten or whatever. So I just decided to try to maybe get like a pretty bad hand to fold. I was really proud of myself, even though the worst hand folded. Um, and we're all okay with that. I have one hand left. You ready for the last hand? Yes, probably, yeah. the, probably the biggest mistake I made the entire, the entire time, and I didn't realize Great. how I'm big. Glad a, we're ending on a high note. <laughs> I didn't realize how big a mistake it was until I watched the hand back. Uh, so on the very uh, on on the very next hand, I have pocket aces. That's a good hand, Joe. I have pocket aces. Don't fold. Wow, I, how did you butcher pocket aces, Stapes? Let's I'm hear. I'm under it. the gun plus one, and I make a fifteen dollars. Which has been my standard raise this entire game, unless you know there's been other weird action in front of me. Chris Birchfield, two to my left, three bets to sixty dollars. Whaley guy calls from the small blind for sixty dollars. It comes back around to me, and I re-raise to how much? Two fifty. Two fifty. Yeah, I would James. say about that is good. I like that sizing. How about eleven hundred? Um, oh my goodness! That's that's Can too I, much. Like, as a <laughs> professional and as a guest on this amazing podcast, I'm gonna stay on. But like, if this was a personal phone call, I would hang. <laughs> <out>. <laughs> <laughs> if you told me this hand 
on the phone as your friend and your backer, I would just hang up on you. <laughs> now, I'm I'm not going to defend this move other than to a, a couple a couple of a little bit of rationale, just a little bit, okay? Again, I'm not, I I said it's probably the biggest mistake I made the entire game. One is that it's like we're wrapping things up soon and the guy to my left is stuck like five buy-ins and has been getting it in multiple hands trying to win it back. Okay. So I think that there's a small... Again, I'm not saying that this... I could have probably accomplished the same thing by making it 250. You're right. So that's one thing. And the other thing being that the uh, the guy uh, is now who flatted is the uh, has also made several crazy calls throughout the course of the night uh, and is has seven thousand dollars in front of him and does think about it for a minute but uh no they they both fold <laughs> whoops uh, and I win a very small pot where look maybe I could have won a bigger one that is obviously a big mistake I would genuinely say the real mistake I made in that hand is not knowing how many chips I had um in my mind, Perception-wise, everyone's got these gigantic stacks in front of them, 4,000, 7,000, whatever. My 1,100's this. And so when I move all in, I just, I'm just i just doing this. Yeah, but and the, 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 the chips do have specific denominations. You can't <laughs> tell what you have just by the actual physical number of discs. They do, and that is a mistake, and that's something that... If I'm making that mistake, I bet other people do too. So I'm just yes. trying to, yes. to to let me be a cautionary tale that count your chip stack out, even in the moment, right? Take your time. Like, you don't feel like I have aces. I ship it. Like, I got overexcited. I didn't really realize how much money I had in front of me. And uh, I, I did made a huge mistake that probably cost me some money. Um, just very quickly, I know that you ended up leaving this game with a profit. I'm assuming that came by virtue of the forced Omaha flips. Correct. I won the final flip for uh, like $700. And uh, yeah. And, and then having, I. And having listened, Maria, to the hand histories and the either lack of aggression or excessive aggression with pocket aces, you're thinking as an investor, thank fuck for those flips. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like, I, I, I obviously wouldn't take Stapes's action if I didn't think he could win in the game. But obviously, I think that there were a couple of things working against him to maybe be able to play his best, like, like he said, you know, the short buy, whatever. So, I, I mean, however he got it, I'm happy he came out a, a winner. But I definitely feel like there's a few things we can learn from this session. Yeah, absolutely. Things we can learn. And also, I just want to uh, just to. So my total cash out was 1880. And just to show that all of the mistakes I do make are genuine. I shipped Maria her half and sent her 480. So these are the sorts of things that, yeah, exactly. Like I, 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 I have some problems with numbers in general <laughs> with details. <laughs> the de I have some detail problems. Anyway, the, the one last thing I wanted to bring up, Maria, uh, is that my VPIP for this game was thirty percent. Does that sound about where it should be? Yeah, that actually feels a little bit higher than I would have thought. Um, so no, that's 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 more than reasonable. 
Like that's and, actually uh, as you higher. can see, it was yet a, right. it was yet another poker session for me, full of flushes and full houses and sets and all straights galore. You could tell every single hand. It's me being an absolute no man's land every single time. If I ever had a hot session, I'd probably win a lot of money. Crucially, you left the session with a profit. You got a trophy sitting behind you. You're playing in the World Series next summer, so STFU. Uh, <laughs> Maria, thank you for coming on to analyze Joe Stapleton and teaching him a thing or two. <laughs> of course, James. I felt like you could have handled like this though. Between the thing is, though, between I, the that with the Omaha hand and the no, two fifty call on the like I size think it's. It's a very easy game. This is a classic cliche, but like all cliches, there's a lot of truth in it. It's a very easy game analyzed from the rail. And I do think when you're in the game at the moment, when you're playing on stream and are paranoid about making a mistake, I do think most people, and I would be exactly the same, this is why I have a lot of sympathy for Joe, would err on the side of being tight and maybe a bit more passive. Uh, so I understand why in the context of this particular game joe probably played those hands the way he played them oh thank you and thank you maria mm -hmm. happy to do it anytime just you know next time i buy some action i'd like to know what games are involved <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Maria is a super person, but Aaron Sinyakov is a super fan and he's with us on this week's podcast. Hello, sir. Good morning. It's a pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. Aaron, I, I can see uh, your background. I appreciate the podcast listeners may not be able to, but are, are you a professional athlete or is that just a, a joke jersey behind uh, you? De definitely not. Uh, <laughs> so my, my, in, in a really quick, snippet my past uh call it decade or so um did some stand-up and improv and everything at a couple canadian comedy clubs and at second city moved to the toronto blue jays box office for a year then worked with the leafs raptors tfc like uh, mlse and live nation so was responsible for vip hospitality and sales and programming uh one of the promotions i got they actually made me up a custom jersey um I left last year and I'm actually in week two of helping Second City Toronto uh, relaunch a new venue. So a lot of comedy ties and uh, been uh, to, to call me a super fan will be an understatement. I've been uh, watching and listening to you guys for a really long time. Wait, someone this dialed into the comedy world in Toronto, and I've never hit you up for any favors, no free tickets, <laughs> no nothing. Aaron, what can you Sorry, do for me yet, at this point? Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Watch, actually, uh, yeah, watch as Joe throws this quiz in a desperate attempt for his career to be furthered. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we got. But look, the question about the jersey got us a lot of answers about who you are. It uh, did. What's I, your What's your poker relation? Oh, sorry, James. Go ahead. I was going to say, I know that you've just started this new job, and I know you're a very busy man because making this call happen has been very difficult. And I was very keen to make this call happen because I know you are a super super fan, Aaron. You've picked a good specialist subject, but yes, you are in the Toronto area. So, what is your relationship with the wonderful game of poker? Yeah, I've been playing since I think I was like, I mean, obviously the, the moneymaker boom sort of sparked it, uh, you know, seeing that on ESPN when I was growing up in my teenage years, that's kind of like the formative time where you have some hobbies and interests sort of pop up. And uh, with all the press and media coverage around that, 
kind of a, a natural fit. And then um, I, it, for whatever reason, it took me a while to want to go down to Vegas. Uh, I was always playing just like home games with friends and family, but I've gone to the World Series a, a couple of years in a row now. Uh, I've actually played with one of Joe's friends a whole bunch of times. I thought that's how I was going to meet Joe. Um, and Ben Ludlow and I have uh, sparred in a lot of different mixed games over the past couple of years. He's a Bengals fan. I'm a Steelers fan. And there's been lots of uh, chirping back and forth at the table. Uh, it, it's more just like the, the camaraderie of playing live poker. And uh, yeah, it's uh, that with a, a combo of a couple of different poker stars uh, events. And, you know, and so, Ben's, I, I, Ben's, I like also, yeah. Ben's also good friends with with Canadian comedian and poker legend J.J. Lieberman. I'm sure, surprised you haven't. If you haven't run into him, you will. And don't worry, I will hear from that one from both of you when that happens because he drops my right. name at every poker table he's ever been Man. at. <laughs> I, uh, I've got some things I want to say about Catch Me If You Can. Sure. I think this movie holds up pretty well. There's some things in it that are a little yeah. dicey now, I think, as far as it comes to lying about who you are to get with <laughs> women. That's a little bit uh, probably is we're getting into some gray area here at this point that was seen as more cute back then. But yeah. I have to say there's a poker connection to this movie. James, do you remember this psycho? Uh, you, he would show up on my timeline every once in a while. During the big game, I would occasionally make like a Frank Abagnale joke, like a reference to Catch Me If You Can <laughs> and or this real life story. And every time this dude would watch one of the replays, I'm talking 10 years later, he would tweet at me and go, no, you mean Frank Abagnale Jr. Oh, come on. You mean Frank Abagnale? I think you mean Frank Abagnale Jr. And I just have to ask, was that you? <laughs> no, definitely not. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, I was going to say, you wanted to save the insult until after you got the answer to that question. Had that gone a different way, this might have been a very difficult segment. Uh, ten questions compiled by Statric. He's written a couple of bonuses. I'm also going to throw in a couple of extra Bond-related bonuses, so plenty oh, of points amazing. up for grabs here. And obviously... Aaron, you're aware of the situation with poker stars in the province of Ontario right now. You're playing for merch rather than a Sunday million ticket. I'm sorry, but the merch is good. The merch is real good. And you get to go first. So please give me a number between one and ten. Fantastic. Uh, let's go with let's go with two. Question number two. There is a Bond-related bonus attached to this question because the question is, which James Bond film does Frank go to see in the theatre? I think it's Goldfinger. It is Goldfinger for two points. And the Hartigan bonus is, can you tell me in which year Goldfinger was originally released? Ooh. I want to say it's... I want to say it's 1962. Ah, 64. You were two years out. Uh, Joe, if you're interested... Yeah. The question with the other Bond bonus is question three. Yeah, sure. Why not? Let's go. Okay. <laughs> so this is the easy one. Which actor plays Frank's dad? Christopher Walken. For two points. The Bond-related bonus, the full name of the villain played by Christopher Walken in the Bond film A View to a Kill. Oh, that's a deep cut. It's... <clears throat> is his name in Batman Returns but I feel it might be also some kind of Max in Vito Agil mm, Auric Goldfinger 
Max Zorin. You would get close. You were getting there. Anywho, those are just the fun bonuses, not the real bonuses. Two points each. Aaron, where are you going next? It's always coming seven. Has to be at this point. Okay, what is the name of the French police captain supposedly who's supposedly going to bring in Frank if he runs away from Carl in the printing factory? Oh, um... Okay, definitely need the choices. Okay, one. is it Captain Julien, Captain Bryce, Captain Jean, or Captain Luke? Uh, By the way, I'm, this is fucking yeah. tough. I, I would struggle. With no, this let's too. let's go with uh, let's go with Captain Luke. It is Captain Luke. You get a single point Woo. there. Joe, one, three, sorry, two, three, and seven have gone. All other questions are still on the board. I like number one. Let's do, do number know. one, please. In which decade is the film set? It's set in the 1960s. Correct for two points, giving you a one-point advantage. So often. It's the question you pick that ultimately dictates the result. That Just like poker, it comes down the lock, the yeah. turn, the river. <laughs> Absolutely. We it's have almost to like variance. You've got to embrace right. the variance. Uh, okay, four, five, six, eight, nine, or ten, Aaron? Uh, let's go ten. Question number ten. In which airport does Frank evade Carl by hiding behind a crowd of stewardesses, as they were known at the time? The Miami International Airport. It is. Ugh, just the words alone make me shiver. Uh, <laughs> Joe, you're up. Uh, I'll take the largest number available, please. The largest number <laughs> available is your lucky number nine. What country is Frank's mother originally from? Oh, she is from France. She is from France. And you still have that one point advantage as we go into the penultimate round. Four, five, six, or eight. Let's go five. What phrase does Frank pick up while watching a TV program about hospitals? Uh, do you concur? It is do you I concur. concur. <laughs> For two points. <laughs> Joe, four, six, or eight? Uh, six. Question number six. What alias does Frank use when he poses as a Secret Service agent due to almost being caught by Carl? Secret Service agent Barry Allen. It is Barry Allen for two points. And the bonus... Where did he take inspiration from? Oh, the Flash comic book. It is. Now, you get the other question with a bonus, Aaron, which is question number eight. How much did Frank pay to spend the night with Cheryl? That is $1,000. It is $1,000 for two points. And the bonus question... I don't, I don't want... I, I, I have no interest in taking points away from Aaron, but technically... Yeah. He pays $600. No, he pays negative. Oh, no. Right? Because she gives him change. That's why I, I think used that was, air quotes. Was it $1,400? Yeah, and 14, then the different. Yeah, whatever. Okay, fine. <laughs> Take it up with Patrick. I didn't write this quiz. Bonus question. Who plays Cheryl? That is Jennifer Garner. It is Jennifer Garner. I have it at... 14 points for Joe, 13 points for Aaron. So, we are going... No, that's not right. It's the high, highest scoring Super escapes ever. Sorry. It's pretty high. I can't read numbers. It's your question, Joe, and you still... Are, you're now only one point behind. Yes. So, it's 10 points to Aaron. I can add up. It's 9 points to Joe. The None last question on the board... <laughs> 
is question number four. The reason why it matters, Joey, is the final question. And if you get this right without taking the options, you win. If you get it right with the options, it's a tied game. If you get it wrong, Aaron wins. Right. It does matter. Yes. In, in as much as that and any of this matters, but that's... Yeah. <laughs> Victory for you is inconsequential. Victory for the superfan means extra merch. No, I get it. Why did Frank originally run away from home? Uh, his parents' divorce. Correct, which means you do get the two points, which means that one-point margin of victory means Joe has done it again and has won a super fan quiz. But do not fret. Do not stress, Aaron. We will still make sure you get a Poker in the Ears t-shirt and your choice of a Poker in the Ears mug or an Always Coming 7 mug. Amazing. Uh, I hope so you're not that disappointed, Aaron. I always feel bad when I win, but this it, one I couldn't. There was no, there's no way to take believably take a dive on this one. Agreed. It's a, uh, it's it's a fantastic move, and yeah, prizes is being here with you guys. This has been uh, fantastic. Okay. Yeah, bless you. Uh, we'll be in touch to get your details, Aaron. But thank you very much for sparing your very valuable time to come on the show today. One hundred percent, anytime, and hopefully uh, one day cross paths uh, at a live event. So, Joe, you did mention earlier on that there was a Sunday Million stream this past Monday. Uh, it's unusual for me not to be there and for you to be there, but that's exactly what happened. So that is my next question. What happened? Yeah, so it, it was, again, no two Sunday Millions are are the same. We started off following this Argentinian player named uh, Demi. We were just calling them Demi NSP. Uh, and then there was someone named Tua133. One of the few names we knew was someone named Lander Leho. Uh, and the play was pretty quick to get to seven-handed. And then we lost one player. And then it was an hour at six-handed, which oh, wow. in online poker terms is a long time. Because the, the, the yeah. previous week, it, had gone a, it went at a fast pace all the way through, like losing half the field in the first hour, and then it kept going at that pace. And I think we were done inside of four and a half hours? Yeah, I think this was like 90 minutes to two hours longer total wow. overall, which is, again, in Sunday Million terms, very long. And then we saw something that we haven't seen in a very long time, which was they were even Stevens when they were three-handed, and they made a deal. In a PKO, that is rare. And people, again, will definitively say it doesn't happen in PKOs. We have seen it before, but you're right. We rarely see it. There's still jumps, but the deal ended up being like like $1,000 difference, basically, all the way down. It was like 54000 53000 52000 Obviously, at the time, we didn't know that, but that's what it ended up being. Right. And so when it gets to heads up, and I think it was the um, it, it was kind of a player you would have expected went out in third place. We get the heads up. Uh, it was a Polish player named Paul Rich and a German player named Bolko. Bolko was all in and at risk total nine times. Wow! During the course of day two, and obviously there were no chop pots. Doubled up nine times over the course of the day. And then we're not really sure what the player's intention was. But when they got to heads up, Pa Rich said something like, fuck Bolko. Um, we don't know if it meant like, 
oh, you're a tough player, so fuck you, you know, like in a in a sort of complimentary way, or like I don't like you, or I don't like your name. Not really sure what like the entire sort of sort of like meaning was behind it, what the intent was behind it. But what happened was then eventually during a heads up, Bolko makes quads, and Pa Rich has a full house. Uh, it's like. Six, six, six on board. Bolko has a six, and there's a nine on board, and uh, the other player had a nine. I'm not sure the sixes, it might be fours, whatever it was. But, and uh, uh, Pa Rich, the fellow who had said fuck Bolko, jams the river, and Bolko slow rolls <gasps> them. Amazing revenge. And it was kind of like a half hearted slow roll, too, because it wasn't like all of the time bank, but it was definitely like some of the time bank gets it eaten into. Bolko does make the call. Nothing in the chat box from Pa Rich, which I found weird, but maybe they were, uh, I don't know. I don't know for what reason you wouldn't reply once you started to do that, but Bolko does win the tournament after that. 74000 after the bounties, because remember, you can't do a deal for the bounties, so there was a big discrepancy, obviously, still between first and second place. Six-hour stream, and in the words of Patrick... AKA Statric, an instant classic. <laughs> an instant classic. Ah, on the one hand, I'm sorry I missed what sounds like it was a good one, but then you say the duration, I'm like, yeah, I, I, that's probably. You'd, you'd have been in bed already anyway, probably. I'd have missed it. it. Seems like. I'd have missed it. Yeah. Um, so there is going to be a stream this coming Monday, which is the 17th of October. Joe and I are otherwise engaged, so Nick Walsh is going to handle that one. And the week after that, there will not be a stream of the Sunday Million, but there will be streams of live poker because week commencing the 24th of October, Joe, is when we stream EPT London and we will talk about that in more detail on next week's podcast. That's right. Now's when I usually say we're just about out of time for this week's show. Coming up next week, it's the EPT London preview show. The triumphant return to London. EPT has not been there in more than a minute, I would say. This is not a pandemic thing. I mean, it might have been, but also we had not done London for some time before that. So the EPT is going back to London. We will be chatting about that, previewing EPT London and his triumphant return on next week's podcast. In the meantime, keep the Discord rolling. Get in there with your comments, your questions, your super fan applications. We haven't locked down a guest yet for the EPT London preview show. It's true. And I'm and I'm down for suggestions for who you might think might make a good EPT London guests, some with some London history or a connection to that event or to that city. Get involved, and because uh, because I'm I'm open, I'm open to ideas. And Discord is getting good. The conversations finally starting to flow there. All I would say is please be practical in your suggestions. Sure, of course. We all know that when we think EPT London, most of us think of Vicky Corrin, right? Vicky's not an easy get. She's a tough get. So. If someone suggests a London-related guest, either someone looking back at an EPT of yesteryear or someone who's going to be at this year's event you'd like to hear from, if we get a suggestion that I think is good enough that we actually end up booking that person or at least ask if they're available, I might might start dropping some prizes on the Discord. I was just about to say that. I was like, if we use your guest suggestion, maybe we can fire off a prize. Unless unless it's someone that I've already booked before you say it. Maybe no prize available for that. Okay, but we'll look into it is what we're going to say. Great. EPT London Preview Show coming up next week. 
Until then, that is all the time we've got for this week's show. For James Hardigan, I'm Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. Thank you.